Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod, an NBA playoff edition with ESPN's Royce Young on the Thunder and Utah Jazz, Russell Westbrook, and what's really been maybe the most compelling series of this postseason, and Ramona Shelburne on the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid, and maybe the season's most remarkable story. Stay with us. Welcome into ESPN's Royce Young, who covers the NBA and particularly the Oklahoma City Thunder. Royce, that game five in Oklahoma City on Wednesday night, of all the great games and moments and drama you've seen in that building through the years, was that among the most compelling one, two, three? Uh, it's up there, Woj. I, I mean, we were having this discussion in the in the media workroom uh, last night. You know, I was talking with a couple Thunder staffers that have been in a lot of big games, and you know, we were all kind of trying to hash it out and say, like, where does that one rank? Because you know, I, I think a lot of you know, it, it always comes down to context, right? And like in the context of that game five, um, the stakes were about as high as they can get, just in the sense of yes, it's the opening round, but this where where things kind of sat coming into that game and and there was really kind of a sense of apathy I think kind of growing within the Thunder fan base you know there were some empty seats in the lower bowl which is you know like you know waking up in the in the sky is uh, purple or something I mean like you don't see that in Oklahoma City Um, there was some angst some frustration growing and and for the team to go down 25 you know it was really just kind of crystallizing in that moment of like you know I think there was some resentment for this basketball team and that's never happened in the 10 years of basketball in Oklahoma City and so for kind of the arrival of Russell Westbrook and the guy that, you know, signed the extension, stayed after Durant left, um, you know, he's the guy that's picked everything up and put it on his back. It was, it was almost poetic. You know, it was theater in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, I've seen a lot of great games, like you said. I mean, there's the, the game that all, I always come back to, one big game I always come back to in that building is the Steph Curry game. It was a regular season game where he hits the half quarter, though, against the Thunder. That's, that's one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, but just in terms of, the stakes and, and the narrative, I mean, I, I don't know if it got, gets much better than that last night, uh, uh, game five. Well, listen, you could make the case that they were fighting to hold on to the Russell Westbrook era in Oklahoma City. You could make the case that was on the line because, I mean, let's be honest. If, if Paul George leaves, they're going to have to make a decision in Oklahoma City about do they want to try to rebuild one more time around Russ or what are they going to do? How are they going to do it? And... They push that question off and, and maybe Paul stays and they're going to keep going. But boy, it would have been hard for Paul George to walk away from a season where they got drilled two straight nights, run out of the playoffs and were sitting there, you know, losers in five, losing twice at home and saying, Hey, I want to sign up for this again. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great point. And, and, and to me, that's, you know, when, when you kind of just, take back and you, and you zoom out on it, I, I think that that's why there was that kind of angst and fear among a lot of people in the building is, is for that exact reason. And, and you know, it, it's a game five and the Thunder still have to win two more games to even get out of the series. But I, I can't, I feel like I can't, you know, overstate the fact that the, just the importance of the way that the Thunder responded um, you know, if they'd gone down double digits and, and lost that game, and like you said, five games and, and gone out really just with a complete whimper and, and almost looking dysfunctional and despondent, 
um, which is all the things that they said that they never were this year, even through the ups and downs. They said that they were always together. The chemistry was great. They, there was Everybody was aligned. And game five was really going to be just like a complete um, rebuking of that. It was going to be like, it was going to, it was, it was everything just coming down to, to a crash. And I, I think for the Thunder to, to respond the way they did, even if they lose in game six, Woj, I think that they can look at that game five and they can say, well, it wasn't because they didn't care. It wasn't because they didn't want this to right. work. It was because they got beaten in a bad matchup, maybe by a better overall team. And I really think too, Woj, you know, just if you're Paul George, I think that you can, you know, and especially if you're Sam Presti and Troy Weaver, you pop in that tape of Game Five, and you could say, "Look, I think you got something special there with Westbrook. There, there's a there's a true connection and a true partnership there. We'll we'll tinker the parts around you. We'll figure out the mellow situation. We'll figure out some of these other things. But there could be something special between you two guys. Look at what you did in this game. Yeah, and you mentioned mellow, and the season was on the line, and Billy Donovan made a decision about how they were going to try to win that game. Yeah. And it was not with Carmelo Anthony. And I'll be really interesting to see how this plays out now in game six and really going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, it was it was an interesting situation the way it played out. And, and I thought that Billy Donovan really handled it all just about the best that he possibly could because, you know, he rode the hot hand. He rode the lineup that was on the run, which is what you got to do as a head coach. I mean, it doesn't really matter who's out there in some ways. You, you ride the lineup that's, that's rolling. I mean, you got a, you got a group on a 32-7 run. You know, it's not like you're going to come there and mess that up. Um, but then he comes back in the fourth quarter, and he, he waits an extended amount of time. He's got Carmelo Anthony over on the bench begging Mo Cheeks to put him back in the game, you know, kind of creating a little bit of a scene over there um, where people in that area are kind of taking notice of it because it was so obvious. Um, Donovan comes back with Mello and lets him play. The Thunder hold their lead, and then Donovan Mitchell goes to the rim twice and beats Mello in a pick-and-roll situation, and Billy Donovan makes a tough call. He takes Carmelo Anthony right back out of the game and puts Jeremy Grant in and closes the game out, and they win. So, you know, I, I think that you know Carmelo Anthony, as you know, Woj, he's, he's given up more than any player on this Thunder team. He's sacrificed. He's given up shots. He's given up roll. He scored in single figures more times than he ever has in his career, single-digit shot attempts, all the stuff that you want to lay out. And, you know, there's been a lot of thinking that playing time was a little bit of a bridge too far for Melo to go, especially that starting role and his stature on the team. You know, we all know the who me soundbite. Right. So, you know, I, I think Donovan kind of escaped game five without it becoming an overall narrative of like, okay, what's, how do you solve the Carmelo Anthony problem? But, you know, now you go into a game six. Now you go into the next things. And, and you kind of see what's best for the team. And it'll be interesting to see how Donovan handles that. Yeah, I, the way Billy, I think Billy's great gift as a coach, and I think what really attracted Sam Presti to him and a lot of other people in the NBA who uh, had interest in him over the years was his ability, is his ability to build relationships with players and help to build a, a chemistry with a group to get guys to like each other and get them to play together. And, I think coming in the league, and he certainly spent a lot of time on that in the Kevin Durant Westbrook season initially, and and I always liked the way he handled it initially. Right, he came in and said to them, "You guys have played at the time; it was maybe like eight hundred or nine hundred NBA games. You know more about the NBA than I do, so I'm going to lean on you guys for how I'm going to do this and how we're going to operate." And and I always felt with Billy that was the reason I always thought he had a really good chance to succeed in the NBA was because. It's sort of a, there's been a, a, a wave of coaches, him and Brad Stevens, who don't have these egos where they have to be the star, the way Patino Calipari 
had to be the star when they came to the NBA because that doesn't work. They understood the players are the stars. And I, I've always felt Billy has succeeded in that way in Oklahoma City. He's done a great job in that way, but he'll get judged now tactically in these playoff series against a coach in Quinn Snyder who, if you had a draft among NBA general managers, if you just had a draft and we're going to make all the coaches available, Quinn Snyder would probably go in the top five and he'd probably go even higher. Yeah. And just being up close and personal in this series, Woj, the connectivity that Quinn Snyder has with his players, it's remarkable. You know, especially in, in Oklahoma City, you have the, the good fortune of getting to sit very close to the court. And I was sitting kind of near the uh, jazz bench, and I could see a lot of the interactions with Quinn Snyder. Even, even as that game was getting away from the jazz, just the way that Quinn Snyder really just, you know, I mean, the, there, there, was, there was like, like those players are looking at Quinn Snyder like, help us. Help us because they believe in that guy, and and you know he he's got him to this to this point, and you know in so many different ways, and the way that the Jazz play, you know Stephen Adams was talking about it at Thunder practice a few days ago, and you know it was it was I think probably some of the highest praise that an opposing player can give an opposing head coach, but he was saying like they run their stuff and they run it so well. He was like they they, they run their they execute at such a high level that we have to be so locked in and so together on the defensive end because. You know, if it's not this action, it's that action, and or it's the next action because the Jazz just execute their their, uh, their set so well. Yeah, Ed Stefanski, who's an executive in Memphis, said to me once he he was in Philadelphia as the GM when Doug Collins was the coach and Quinn was on Doug's staff, and he always said to me Doug was the greatest. Anybody who's been around Doug Collins always marvels at his mind, his recall. Just a tremendous. I think Mike Rosenberg did a great piece about his recall in SI years ago. But that that Quinn Snyder at that time was the best offensive mind he had ever been around, and he has shown that. And that was when he was a younger NBA assistant post-college. And I think Ricky Rubio, when Ricky came there, I really felt that he was going to so benefit from that relationship with Quinn Snyder. Listen, he was in Minnesota with Tom Thibodeau, and there would be very long stretches, but there, he's not communicating right. on the level – that a guy like Ricky Rubio is a very emotional. He wants you to care about him, and that because and he cares about other people, he cares about his teammates. Ricky's a very unique personality, and I, I spent time in Spain with him when he was younger. A beautiful little seaside town in Spain where he grew up, and his grandmother at the time lived next door to him. And I remember riding around in his car with him, his grandmother, and me. I was in the back seat. <laughs> he was driving his grandmother through town and just his great heart and, and passion. And I don't think that there's a better coach in the world for him than Quinn. And you've seen how it's manifested itself. The confidence and belief that Quinn believed in this kid, and he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's older, but Quinn believed in Ricky and Ricky started to really believe in himself. And I think the impact he's had on Rubio is as much impact as any coach has had on any player in the league this season. Yeah, and you know when I when I was just talking about the connectivity and the players looking up, the player I had in my mind woke was Ricky Rubio because there was a moment in that fourth quarter where you know they they were like they were like in sync talking to each other trying to solve it trying to figure it out and you know I mean and, and that's you know I, I think that in a lot of ways you know obviously the Jazz are are, are going to be tested here Quinn Snyder's going to be tested they still hold a three two series lead they're going back to their building but you know anytime you blow a twenty five point loss you know it's 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 going to jar you, you know, it's going to shock the system. And, 
Um, you know, I think the jazz players all said the right things. They, you know, Jay Crowder had a great line about like, we're good. We're going back to Salt Lake City. That's all you need to know. And, uh, you know, I think that they're highly confident in the fact that they can play well and execute in their own building. Um, but on the flip side of it, you know, so much of what this series, it, it's been kind of a strange series. And, you know, if, if you, if you look at it, you just kind of step back. The Thunder are in a game six with Russell Westbrook only playing one good game in the series so far. You know, we, we were kind of taking a poll yesterday and before game five, I think you would have ranked Russell Westbrook maybe the fifth best player in the series, maybe the sixth best player. And I mean, that's clearly a problem yeah. for the Thunder. He just, he just had not been himself. I think emotionally and physically something Westbrook just hasn't been himself. Like, you know, something's just kind of been off. And it, and it seemed like, you know, it, it seemed like Superman jumped into the phone booth last night. And, um, you know, I think Russell Westbrook kind of found himself a little bit. And so the Jazz, you know, they're really confident going back to that game six. And Quinn Snyder, I think, has his group. He's going to have them ready to play. They're going to be, um, they're going to be set and, and, you know, mentally and emotionally. But if Russell Westbrook's coming at you full tilt now, I think they're going to have the work cut out for him. Has Rudy Gobert to you been the most dominant player in this series? Absolutely. It's, what would you, I mean, I've watched Russell Westbrook, you know, obviously for his entire career. And the way that, that Gobert – and I don't really like the idea that he's gotten in Westbrook's head, but what he's made him do is think. And what Russell Westbrook, and I think he would tell you this, and you know, if you, if you sat him down and you got him to tell you the truth, Russell Westbrook's not at his best when he's when he's thinking. He's best when he's playing off feel and instinct. And and Westbrook even kind of said it after game three or four, I think, where he said that he's got to make his first read and just attack that first read. He's got to be decisive. He and I think right now Westbrook is in two different minds or was before um, last night. And, you know, obviously Rudy Gobert's foul trouble completely shifted that game on its axis. And, and it went a, in a completely different way. But you do kind of have to wonder um, just the way that, that Westbrook has kind of been in terms of this series and rhythm and confidence. If Rudy Gobert stepping off the floor is what got Westbrook going, you know, is the toothpaste out of the tube now? And, and can you put it back in there? Is Westbrook yeah. got his confidence? Westbrook have his rhythm? Does Westbrook have a feel of now how to kind of attack the Jazz and their scheme? Because if that's the case, I think that that's, that's going to change the perspective. But there's no question about it. I mean, look, Russell Westbrook does not hesitate against people. And, and you know, I, I've told people this story before. It was a couple of years ago. It was the season Kevin Durant was hurt, and Russell Westbrook was kind of running solo in Oklahoma City. And they were in Utah playing a game, and it was, it was striking in the second half. This was before Gobert really kind of had totally established himself as such a dominant defensive player. And Westbrook was having these issues. He was kind of struggling to figure out, you know, when do I tack, when do I pull back, and it kind of looked like he was hesitating. And I tweeted something about how, man, I've never really seen Russell Westbrook this, um, this hesitant to attack somebody at the rim. And in the locker room after the game, Russell, the media kind of clears out, and he hollers over at me, tells me to come to his locker, and he pulls me in, and he says, Royce. I ain't scared of nobody. <laughs> it's like, okay, I got it. I'm not saying you're scared, but I'm saying that you're having a, trouble, uh, a little bit of trouble with the guy. <laughs> this episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient, 
Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Woj. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Having been with Russell now for as many years as you have, day in and day out, what's the most consistent thing about how he goes about his job every day, how he deals with you, how he deals with everyone mm-hmm. around him. Is there just like a couple things where you just say that never deviates? Uh, he is he is so regimented. I don't think people realize that about him is that it's the tiniest little details in his life that he makes sure that he keeps to the most extreme routine. And, you know, whether that's a time during the uh, national anthem where he will yawn and then he will start a, a prayer and he'll he'll talk about his wife and his son and he'll pray for his, the game and everything, or whether that's um, the time that he starts the layup line, it's always at the exact same moment, whether it's the time that he goes to the bench before the game and sits down and starts dancing. I mean, every little thing about Russell Westbrook is very regimented. I, I don't think it's necessarily superstition. I think it's just comfort. And the other thing about him is that he, he pays attention to detail like few player, players that you that I've ever been around is that you know one of the, it, it's it's the little bitty things that he he cares about he applies it to himself he expects excellence and perfection from everybody and th- that includes himself first and foremost but if you're around Russell Westbrook and you're not holding up your end of the deal he's going to let you know and you know I think that some people it, you know Westbrook can kind of be a little bit of an acquired taste and I think that goes for teammates I think that goes for coaches I think that goes for staff media as well <laughs> um and, you know, it, once you kind of solve the guy, once you kind of get the, the idea of what he's like, you know, I've always found Russell to be very charming and very enjoyable, especially when you put the recorder down. He's, he's pretty, he's, he's not as bad to be around as people think he is. Um, he's, he's pretty funny. He's, he's pretty polite, really. Um, but the thing about it is, is that you can't, you can't talk around anything with him. There's no talking out of both sides of your mouth. You got to be straightforward to the point with him because that's how he's got to be right. with you. And, um, and I think that, that's that's the thing about Russell Westbrook from day one when he was a rookie till now. That's really never changed. Yeah, and and as you know, Royce, the circle around him is so small, right? And it's been so consistent, right? It's it's his his parents and and his it was his girlfriend, of course. Now it's his wife, his agent Thad Fouché, and his brother, right? Right. I'm not missing anybody there. Well, his dog. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a cute little dog, and, and I guess his son now. Yeah, those. <laughs> <laughs> and his son, right. It's just, and I think it speaks to familiarity with him and trust, and you don't get close to him. Right. Um, and I think once you're out, you're done with him. Like he, he just eliminates people. You don't see people coming in and out of his world. Right. It's very consistent. And I think it speaks to the consistency you see in other places. And for an organization, very few have that. I know there was a really good young player on a very bad organization in the NBA who went to him a couple of years ago and, and sort of said, like, I want to be a franchise player. I, I want to be that kind of a guy. And w- what does that mean? Like, what should I be looking for in my organization? And Russell went through with him from management to coaching to the PR director to the training staff to the doctors to any part of the organization that Russell had become familiar with, which was every part. Here's an expectation of what you should want out of all these people. And – 
uh, it was really instructive to that other player. He had told me that story and just that he studies everything. He studies everything. Yeah. He'll go, he'll go wake up teammates. I mean, this is, I think this has been written about before by myself and others even, but he will routinely, he loves to get on a, on a plane after a game. First thing he does is he'll pull open his laptop and he'll start watching film of the last game. And he's got teammates, you know, behind him snoring, catching some, uh, catching some rest. He'll go wake him up because he'll be like, "Hey, I noticed that your feet were a little wrong on this play. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I noticed on this play that uh, your timing on this cut was just a little bit off." Because it's just that's how it is, you know. And and you mentioned it. It's not just teammates. It's coaches. It's support staff. If if you're not doing your job right, Russell Westbrook's going to let you know. No, no question. It, it there's a lot of Kevin Garnett in him, and you mentioned that on the flights, you know. The Celtics would tell you, Doc Rivers would always tell this story that, that, especially that first year when they were all together with the Celtics and Garnett would just be wired. The game would end. He was always wired and everyone would like get on the plane and you'd kind of want to go to sleep. You'd have a long flight after a game or you'd be going cross country and Kevin would be sitting there wide awake, wired, wanting to be engaged with people. And Doc would be like, you felt like guilty, like maybe I shouldn't sleep here because KG's <laughs> not sleeping. And I think Garnett is the, to me, the greatest comparable to Russell in how they went about their business, how they competed, how they wanted to practice every day, probably a little bit how they deal with the media. I think Russ talks more than K- – KG would go yeah. very long periods without talking, but but that was never – there was always – it was never easy for anybody. So to me, he's he's the KG of this generation, and you still see like everything. When, when there was a moment of truth to be had for that Thunder organization in Game 5 – and it was like you said, like Superman had to go into the booth. He did. And uh, it's a remarkable gift when you're not playing great, when it's not going well, and you can summon it and save everybody and maybe give your team, your organization, a jolt it needs to make its way back. And I don't know, there, there's just no one really like him right now in the game. Yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's well said because, you know, it was it was backs against the wall in, in a true in a true sense. And, and like I said, I. You know, this series is not over, and, you know, the Thunder could end up winning it, and that would be, I think, a, a really positive achievement in a lot of ways. But even if they don't, I, I just I just can't understate how important I think that Game 5 was um, in so many different ways. But that's, again, that's that's just kind of the Russell Westbrook way, is that, you know, when he is backed into a corner and you tell him that he can't do something and that it's all over with, that's, that's typically when he thrives. So, um, you know, I, I think that you know, even for the fan base itself, they, they needed to see that guy. And, and it was, it was amazing to me, Woj, that I'm, I'm sitting there as the Thunder, that game is slipping away. And all I could kind of think about was like, where's Russell Westbrook? Like, this is not how this guy goes out. You know, this, this guy goes out, you know, in just a complete, you know, one of the things about Westbrook that makes him so polarizing is that his mistakes are so loud. You know, you see him. He, he, he puts himself out there emotionally in front of you. And when he messes it up, you notice it and you see it. It's a bad shot. It's a bad turnover, whatever it might be. And, you know, he doesn't get away with much in a game because, because Russell Westbrook is so willing to put himself out there to make the mistakes. And, you know, that's, that's what I think makes him so great. And I think that's what also, you know, keeps people uh, awake at night wondering about, like, why can't he change? Why can't he be different? It's just, that's, it's just kind of what he is. And so I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, like, you know, where is that guy? You know, he's not going to go down like this. And, you know, wouldn't you know it to start with back-to-back three-pointers? And I was sitting next to a scout, and uh, when he hit the second three-pointer, and it only cut it to 18, but I looked over at him, and I was like, oh, man, I think here we go. I think, I think it's on now. I think Russell Westbrook just arrived. 
You know, it'll be interesting, Royce, because we're always looking ahead in this league. Organizations have to look ahead. However it ends, whether they come back and beat the Jazz, whether they advance, whether it ends in this series, they have this really difficult summer for them. Carmelo Anthony's got that $28 million player option or or, uh, to opt in on the last year of his deal, the ETO, and he's almost assuredly going to do that. Uh, There's no... That money's not out there for him on the market. You knew that before the season, and you really know it now. And they're facing right now, uh, you know, Bobby Marks, um, you know, our front office insider. You look at the numbers Bobby has, and if you, if you were to bring this group back, you're looking at a payroll of around 150 million, and then a luxury tax bill of another 123 million. Now we know that is not sustainable. That would be right. really hard for New York to pay, Chicago, L.A. It's certainly not realistic in Oklahoma City if you have a team that's not. It'd be one thing if you're coming off a championship or and, and you say, okay, we've somehow have to pay this bill, but we won and may, maybe, but it isn't that. And you look at what this roster would have to look like next year. If Paul George wanted to come back, there's going to have to be some really difficult decisions made about deletions to that payroll. And you have Jeremy Grant who came in and saved them in game five, who will be a free agent who that's the kind of luxury they need him. That is a very, it was a great pickup when uh, Sam and, and Troy made that trade for him and his salary has been somewhat of a bargain. And But he's going to have a chance to get a pretty decent deal this summer somewhere. They can't pay and keep him. They're like, you know, Steven Adams with a max deal in the middle of that payroll. Steven Adams has been invaluable to this team. This has been his best year. If Carmelo's opting in and Paul George wants to stay and Russell and then the repeater tax, how do you keep Adams? How can you pay all that? So, like, boy, there's a moment of truth coming for this organization to figure out. And I know I'm sure Sam's spending morning, noon, and night on it because if there's one thing Sam can do, it is it is to plan out scenarios and options. And, and he'll know, like, every possible – he's not going to share it with anybody – but I know he'll have a plan, and I'm sure he'll show that plan to Paul George and, and Aaron Mintz, his agent, and I'm sure he'll show it to you know the, the other guys as they try to keep this thing together. But boy, returning in Oklahoma City and seeing this team as a contender with this group and all the money that's going to have to be, again, that repeater tax, it's a difficult pathway to having a team next year that is better than the one this year. Yeah, and I think so much of it, not just even on – in a sense of financially what's sustainable, Woj, but like, it, you know, what Russell Westbrook, you know, we're talking about game five and how remarkable that was, but I mean, that's, that's not the sustainable model that, that Sam Presti wants, that Billy Donovan wants, that I think even Russell Westbrook wants. So, I mean, it, it, it's, there's got to be something that grows out of this. And, you know, the Thunder, when they made the move for Carmelo Anthony, they knew what they were taking on. They knew what, like you said, I mean, Sam Presti, it's not like he was like, you know, made the move and then somebody knocked on his door and said, hey, Sam, by the way, do you know what you're going to be paying in luxury tax? And he was like, what? You know, I mean, like Sam Presti is well aware of this. <laughs> Clay Bennett's well aware of this. Um, and But at the time, you know, they sat there and I think they t- kind of told themselves, you know, this is the cost of doing business in the NBA. You want to collect these stars. You want to give yourself a chance. You want to stack talent on top of talent. And, you know, you go after it. The Thunder have spent years um, trying to be somewhat fiscally conservative to save up money. You know, this was this was really part of the reason that they traded James Harden, right? I mean, they, they wanted to kind of have money set aside and revenue that they could call upon when with, with what they thought would be Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook hitting the primes of their career. They've kind of reshuffled that to this group now. But that was how they felt back in September, October, when they thought, 
Now, this is a team earmarked to go to the Western Conference Finals at the very worst. If it's the first round out, you know, then what do you do? Then, then do, how do you approach this? And, and that's so much of what it is. And, that, you know, and I think the other aspect, Woj, is, as you know, you know Carmelo Anthony, um, he has not been the player that they hoped he would be. He has missed open shots. He just has not, he has not been the guy I think that you know, he was anticipated to be when he slotted into this role. But he does have a very influential voice, I think, within that locker room, specifically with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And, you know, whether or not it was completely coincidental that Russell Westbrook signed that extension, as you know, um, after, you know shortly after Carmelo Anthony was added, you know, I, I think that, that that's really kind of hard to say. Um, but, you know, if Carmelo Anthony has some sort of influence in Paul George's future, you know, those two guys are really close. They got to know each other playing USA basketball. You know, maybe Carmelo Anthony's $28 million um, salary next season goes a little bit deeper than what he's even producing on the court. Royce, it'll be fascinating this summer to see how this plays out with the Thunder, but more so uh, how the rest of the series goes. Game six, Friday night in Salt Lake City. I know you'll be there. I know you're on your way to the airport now, man. I appreciate you uh, stopping through with me before you, you head out. Uh, have a safe trip, and uh, we will talk soon, man. All right, you bet. My pleasure, Woj. This episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it has ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you never miss a deal. And more importantly, you aren't wasting any time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events. And SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. And even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is based upon value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it often. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never bamboozle you with big fees on the checkout page. So now here's the best part about SeatGeek for all of you out there listening to the Woj Pod. My listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Then enter promo code WOJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ, W-O-J, today. Welcome in now to ESPN's Ramona Shelburne, who's out on the 405 or the 110. She's riding some byway in Southern California. Ramona, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, yeah, it's nice and warm here and lovely, you know. Um, I shouldn't say anything, but I've been on the East Coast where, you know, some of that, some of that in April gets a little old, right? Yeah, I know. But it's gotten <laughs> nice here since you left, so... Uh, it's better. So, Ramona, that Sixers Heat series, you've spent, at different parts of this season, you've spent a lot of different time around the Sixers. But what uh-huh. you saw in this series and what the, the phenomenon that this team has become, I don't have a comparison in the NBA or the modern NBA for them. Do, do you? No, I don't really. I mean, it, the only thing that comes to mind is the, the Oklahoma City with Thunder when they had Harden and Westbrook and Durant all together on that team. Um, and even that is not the right comparison because 
you know, those, at least Westrick was a more traditional point guard, right? I mean, he's a scoring point guard, but he, you know, he doesn't, he's not a six foot ten point guard, right? Um, like Ben Simmons is. And then, you know, Embiid is sort of a generational type talent at the center position where not only does he, is he incredibly physical and strong inside with, you know, post moves, he, he can shoot it outside. I mean, there's, there's not really comparable players to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And then so for them to, you know, it's amazing to me because I spent quite a bit of time around them in November, December. They were out here on a West Coast swing, and you know, they were hovering around 500. I, I remember I caught one night where they, they looked great in a win over Utah, and then, the, you know, the next night they were in Sacramento and lost to the Kings, right? I mean, that's kind of where they were at that stage. And, you know, 500-ish, you know, you kind of had this thought that maybe they would have a nice little run and contend for an eight seed, and they have – exceeded all of our expectations i think maybe even their own jj reddick had a great quote the other night um you know i think we've changed our expectations like four times already right Um, i was just thinking about that yeah now they're starting to believe yeah they're starting to believe they can do a lot more and i'm starting to believe it i mean i I kept thinking all right young team in the playoffs especially against a team like miami it's a proud veteran savvy team it's gonna it's gonna be a physical series they're gonna make defensive adjustments, you know, game to game. Coach like Spo is going to get in there and, you know, do some things the Sixers haven't seen before. And not only did they handle everything Miami threw at them, they got better as the series won. And I, 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 yeah, I came away from that game five going, man, they didn't even play well. They didn't even play well and they still won. And, and, and they have such a high ceiling. Yeah, that, and that series and that opponent, it was such a great indoctrination into playoff basketball. They'll play more talented teams in the postseason, especially as they advance, but they're not going to play a tougher minded team, a team that, you know, challenged them physically, mentally, and uh, a great coach in Eric Spolster. Not a good coach, but, but a great coach in Spo. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was wondering after game one, I was like, wow, game one really wasn't close, right? It was, you know, a really fast paced game. And it, it seemed like, um, you know, they, they shot 18 threes. I think they shot 64% from three. I'm like, okay, they won't do that again. But Miami, you know, really tried to take away the three. I think there was really only one other game where the three-pointer was a factor. And the other games, you know, Philly shot horribly. Uh, the pace slowed down. It got physical. And Spo took a lot of things away from Philly and sort of what it had been doing during that long win streak. And they still won. I mean, that's, that's what that impressed me. I mean, the, the game they won that I think was probably the, the one where they started to believe, wow, okay, we – we really might be able to do something this year with that game four down in Miami. So you're winning on the opponent's home court. And they had 27 turnovers in the game. Okay. 24 of those in the first three quarters. And they led to 28 points by the Heat, right? So it's just sort of, you know, this is young team, sloppy. It got physical. They didn't respond very well to it. They were, you know, not taking care of the ball. They weren't shooting very well at all. And then in that fourth quarter, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid went to work. Embiid couldn't hit a shot. You know, he, he can't see out of that mask. It's foggy. <laughs> he was dribbling off his feet. You know, I heard he, was, he, was, he and I were joking around in the locker room afterwards. I go, man, you almost had a quadruple double. He had eight turnovers in that game. <laughs> right? yeah. And he goes, I know. I was laughing about it. But it wasn't funny, but it, it was funny because they won. But he, uh, he said afterwards, he goes, you know, when, when I'm, he's out of sorts offensively, he just had to focus on defense. And I think he might have had, like, four or five blocks in the fourth, in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was – it was he went into that mode and then Ben Simmons took over offensively and they not only tightened up on the turnovers they tightened up everywhere else I mean they were the more poised team in that fourth quarter 
the, the young Sixers were the more poised team. And for them to do that on the road against a team like Miami with you know, Dwayne Wade trying to throw back the clock, you know, turn back the clock, and Bo on the other side, chess mastering with Brett Brown, for them to do that on the road and, and end that series early was really impressive. You mentioned Embiid, and he is remarkable in a lot of ways. He is a an incredible physical talent. The way he dominates on the defensive end, and he really dominates on that end of the floor. We know how versatile offensively. But for a young guy who did not grow up in this country, didn't move here until high school age, he is such a product of sort of the social media generation. He seems like a kid who grew up with all of this stuff, sort of took it all in and kind of coupled it with his personality to create this very unique persona, except he just showed up here like six years ago. He to me, and, and, and we've never talked about this. He reminds me of Kobe in so many ways in that in a Kobe was part of a different generation, but in terms of knowing how to keep himself the story, how to take whatever the form of media was at the time and you be able to use it. This was probably a little later in Kobe's career. I just see a lot of similarities between how those two, they're doing it in different ways, but, but they remind me of each other. Yeah, I agree with you. They, 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 um, they remind me a lot of each other. Although I think Embiid is a lot more social than Kobe was. Kobe was kind of shy when he first came over. Embiid was shy too in the sense that he didn't speak the language. But I mean, just, you know, I've, I've talked to some people over, you know, close to him. You know, he's got a whole support network around him, right? CAA's done a really good job of, of putting people around him to support him, right? And, and the Sixers, to their credit, have allowed all those people you know, kind of free reign around because they know how important it is for him. Um, and we were talking about the other day, I said, has anyone ever tested his IQ? I mean, I, it's just in terms of, I'm not talking SAT scores or GPA or anything. I'm talking about IQ, intelligence quotient, given that kind of test. Um, I don't think anybody ever has, but, like, you know, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm sort of an amateur psychologist, right? Okay, because we, <laughs> we all do that. Well, you did but, go to Stanford, um, you know, was, so. Yeah, I'm a Stanford kid, and we used to have a thing. Who got in because they work really hard? Who got in because they're a legacy? <laughs> Somebody's parent went there or whatever. And who are the real geniuses? Like you could, there's you, there's about five percent of the people there who are like the real geniuses. Those are going to be the ones who start the next YouTube or Yahoo or you know whatever it is. Um, and you could you could usually tell those those ones pretty quickly. Um, they sort of reveal themselves fairly quick. I, I think Embiid's one of those. I really do. Um, when I talk to him, his aptitude for learning is off the charts. Like he can. He can watch some highlights and just do it the next day. Like he, you know, his understanding of our culture, his understanding of language. You know, he's not only like conversant in another language, he's funny. He's ironic. I mean, he, as you point out, he's only been here for seven years. I mean, it's, you know, he took him a few years to even learn how to speak English. So for him to, to get this good at that and then understand how to not, not only work the media, but use it to his end. I mean, we, the other night we were talking and I said, um, you know, we, the, you know, they won the playoff series, and you saw the video of Brett Brown getting out of the champagne, and it was a great viral video that's gone around and stuff. And I was asking some of the guys who'd been there the longest about, you know, how can you, can you believe you did this, you know, t- two years ago you won 10 games, and it's, it's literally two years later and this team's already here. And um, I'd heard this great story that when Elton Brand was on that team, uh, you know, remember Elton was like the veteran that brought, brought in sort of, okay, we need to have some veteran leadership here and, um, you know, to try to keep, keep these kids on the right track. And, you know, they were stuck on nine wins, right, which would have tied the record for the worst team in NBA history. 
And when they were stuck on, I think they were in the middle of a 12-game losing streak. There was five games left, so they had five games to get that last win. And Elton goes and makes a poster that says, congratulations on tying as the worst team in NBA history. And he hung in the locker and he put everybody's name on it. Mm. <laughs> right? Yep. And, uh, you, know, and all, you know, TJ McConnell said it was like degrading. He goes, we made sure Elton knew he was part of that team. His name was on that poster, too. And, but they went out and won the next night against the Pelicans. Um, and they got, you know, they got off that 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 dubious mark. So they had finished with ten wins. Uh, and I remember asking Embiid about it, and I said, "What'd you think?" And he goes, "Well, I wasn't playing that year, so I couldn't do anything about it. But I was really, I was pissed." And I said, "You know," and he goes, "I knew that when I came back, something had to change." I said, "What changed?" He said, "Expectations." Because I've learned when I say stuff in the media, and you know, we got to back it up. I got to back it up, and my teammates hear that, and they know that you know, if I say we're going to make the playoffs, and we really better make the playoffs. And for him to, like, have that recognition that – I mean, that's Phil Jackson, right? It's coaching through the media. Yep. Like, yep. For him, it's, what, 24? My goodness. To, to, like, understand that already, to understand, like, how to work that and what that does. I mean, the other day before game five, I think he said, our time is now. We can win now. Uh, you know, that's him saying that to his guys don't be satisfied with this first-round playoff win. You know, this, that's him saying, let's, Eastern Conference is wide open. Let's, let's, let's do the whole thing. Yeah, and you mentioned Brett Brown there. He is, I don't know that there's anybody in the league who has ever spent time with Brett Brown who isn't really fond of him. And what he endured there, like his record, you know, I don't know how many more wins he needs to get back to 500. He's got a ways to go. They should have a ceremony. Like he could win a chance. He could, yeah. he might win two titles there and they could have a ceremony yeah. in the third season when he finally gets back to 500 as a coach. And, um, I, I, and I think that whole city has embraced him. And it's funny when they were really struggling early and of course losing, uh, because that was the plan. They would use Brett to give pep talks to the sales team, to the different people in the building. He'd come in and they'd get all the sales group together and Brett would come in and give them a pep talk. And he had to do it every day with the team. He had to do it with his own coaches. He did it with the fans and he put such a burden on his back. And whenever you would talk to him, even in the darkest moments there where he didn't know if he was going to make it, Brian Colangelo came in as general manager. He didn't know if he was going to stay as coach. And there really is a real positive energy and a vibe that comes out of him that is a tangible thing that just permeated everything in that locker room, that organization. It's a real thing you feel when you're around there because of him. Yeah, I, I feel it. I mean, I, I, I think I remember going through there a couple of times. It was strange. I think I popped through Philly a couple of times over the years doing other stories. Like, I think I was there with the Warriors a couple of times and they'd be on their East Coast swing and then they'd go through New York and then pop through Philly. And it, was, it tended to be a good town to do interviews with opposing teams, right? Because <laughs> we're really covering the Sixers. And, um, you know, I, 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 I would see Brett stand there in front of the media after the game and answer every question and he, I don't think he ever sold his teammate and team out. I don't think he ever felt sorry for himself. I mean, he was he was just sort of relentlessly positive. And I remember, you know, we all had our opinions on what Sam Hankey did and and that was the process. We all, we chalk it up to Hankey, but it was it was just as much the ownership there group there who had that you know hedge fund mentality of of must have the longest view, right? Um, and and be sort of willing to build it, you know, tear it down to build it back up the right way. Um, and I, you know, we, we, my view on it was I always felt bad for Brett because he was the guy who was 
out there selling it, right? Like a lot of, he may not have been the ideological force behind it, but he was the one who had to be the public face of it. Um, and I, I didn't think that was fair to him. I felt like, you know, yeah, he's doing that. He's the coach, but you know, the, the, the management, the ownership, whoever else was, was sort of advocating this strategy should have been out there alongside with him. But now I, I look back on it and I go, well, he was so good at it. He was, so, you know, <laughs> he was good at it. And, and I, and I think if Sam Hankey gets another opportunity to run a team, they're probably not going to be in this situation. If he becomes a GM again, I don't know if another team is going to go to this length. I don't know if another organization or owner has a stomach for it. But And so maybe it would be easier for Sam to be out front more. But I do think looking back, I've always gotten the sense Sam probably wishes he had you know, especially like remember when some of the Jalil Okafor stuff was going on where he was acting out, I think it was on the road in Boston and Brett had to come out and, and talk and Sam didn't. And I remember he took some heat in the local media for that. I think Sam would do that differently, but Brett sort of, because of how Brett handled it, it made it easy to just sort of rely on him to do it because he was so good at it. Yeah, he was so good at it. And it wasn't, and it was real. Like you didn't feel like someone was spinning you, you know, you felt like he actually believed that and it was in his you know, deep down in his guts, and he, he, he was positive. Like, it wasn't it wasn't an act. Um, you know, my, one of my favorite Brett things is told me, you know, he, he sometimes when, when, when you talk to him, he's on the phone, he's running. You ever get a call when he's running, and you can hear him? <laughs> like, yeah. kind of out of breath. It's like, you know, sometimes people call you, they're on the elliptical, and with Brett, he's, he's actually running. And uh, he uses that time to, like, make his calls and, you know, get through things and, you know, I, I was like, you don't listen to music when you run? Like, when I work out, I need music. I mean, I could do a, I could probably do a call and not completely out of breath when I'm on the elliptical, right? Uh, but if I was running, I don't think I could be able to hold a conversation. <laughs> Must be in great shape. But uh, anyway, he, uh, he said, you know, that's, that's kind of his time to do his thinking, but it's just, he, had this, he had this great line to me once that said, you know, losing, it cheats you, and you have to fight against it. You know, you have to fight it. Um, and so that was his way of fighting against it. I, I always remember that. And, you know, after game one, when they won that first game, I go, see, I know you're still running, but, you know, how does it feel after now that you're winning? And he goes, I run faster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Game. Hey, Ramona, thanks for jumping on. I know we'll, we'll talk soon here. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guests today, ESPN's Royce Young and Ramona Shelburne. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Apple Pods or wherever else you get your shows. And, of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, SeatGeek and Quicken Loans. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.